Sky Talkers is a member of the Star Wars Escape Pods Network. Explore more great content and get to know our sister shows at WeAreEscapePods.com and on Twitter at WeAreEscapePods. The Star Wars Escape Pods Network, promoting positivity in fandom. By George, I think he's got it. In this new three-part series, we're tackling the maker himself, George Lucas. From childhood to film school, we're looking at his early work to see how this man from Modesto became the legendary filmmaker, George Lucas. Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, guys. I am your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to our new three-part series, By George. <laughs> Caitlin decided on that name last night. <laughs> <laughs> I had a lot of different ideas. I wanted to call it the plaid shirt, a retrospective, but Charlotte <laughs> wouldn't let me. <laughs> I vetoed a lot. <laughs> yeah. And it's also the Modesto Man was an option, or... Loving George or Loving Lucas. There were a lot of bad names, but uh, <laughs> by George kind of seemed fun. So if you don't right. like it, tough cookies. <laughs> As you might know, this series that we are starting with this episode and will continue for the next two weeks, um, we are going to be covering George Lucas throughout his life in his films and discussing the major themes throughout his films. Yes, it's going to be a lot of fun. And so as you heard in the prologue in this first episode, we're going to be talking a lot about the early years of George Lucas, where he came from, his roots, and some of his early student films, and of course, some of his first major films like THX 1138 and American Graffiti. And don't worry. I know that like, I feel like whenever I listen to a film podcast, I'm always like, oh no, I haven't seen the movie. I don't know if I'm going to take anything from this. Because we're always going to go back to Star Wars, don't worry about it. <laughs> I feel like everything will go back to Star Wars and we'll explain if you haven't seen the movie. I do recommend checking them out. And Caitlin did put together a playlist on our YouTube channel. I'll link that in the show notes um, of like some of the short films. I think, honestly, American Graffiti is all on YouTube. You should probably add that to the playlist, Caitlin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it will be. There are definitely yeah. clips if you haven't seen American Graffiti. Um, but all of his early student films and stuff that we'll be talking about later on, I think all of them are on the playlist right now, as well as some clips of George Lucas kind of talking about his early years. This really interesting interview from 1971 of George and this reporter just like walking in the desert in bell-bottom pants, just talking. So <laughs> all of that is on the playlist, too, if you're interested. <laughs> the interview goes something like, I really just like film. Film is great. <laughs> yeah, I like film. <laughs> the interviewer is like, but what about film? Like, what does it speak to you? And George is just like, I like it. I just like it. And it's it's so George Lucas. I can't. It's, it really is. It's adorable. So you should definitely head to our YouTube channel, which is just it's just Sky Talkers podcast, um, and we have a bunch of playlists. But you can find our George Lucas playlist if you're interested in finding those early short films. And we'll be adding to it as the series goes on too. So um, it's a work in progress. Definitely. So the movies that we're going to be talking about in this episode are, oh man, I'm going to mis- mispronounce this, but 1966's <laughs> Fry Height, um, 1966's 
uh, 1-4208, um, Look at Life, THX-1138, and American Graffiti. And then, of course, Star Wars. And the next episode after this, we'll deal with Star Wars, Indiana Jones, and, like, that era. Mm-hmm. And then the one after that, we'll deal with the prequels and, like, Strange Magic. <laughs> I'm so-, so excited to watch Strange Magic. <laughs> I can't tell you. <laughs> I know. I've heard such interesting things about it, and I've watched the trailer a couple times since it came out, and uh, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Yes. So if you want to follow along and revisit or visit these films for the first time, um, I highly recommend it. I think that the reason why we do this series is because I feel like there is a lot to glean from George Lucas and his early life and you know, it's so described as like Luke Skywalker is George Lucas's um, self-insert. So I feel like we can always go back to these themes that have kind of shaped George Lucas as a person, as a writer, as a director, um, and look at them as they span throughout the galaxy of Star Wars. Mm -hmm, Exactly. And the book we're going to be reading um, that we've been reading, if you so feel inclined to follow along is the biography by Brian J. Jones is George Lucas biography. It's really good. It's really interesting. So definitely pick that up if you haven't. And obviously we're not film students, nor are we experts on George Lucas as much as we'd like to be. But I do, we do know more than the average bear about George Lucas. So (laughs) (laughs) I hope um, that this is fun and informative for you guys too. And you get to know a little bit more about, you know, the maker. So the way the series is going to be broken out is each part will deal with a major theme. I feel like I just mentioned this, but I am going to repeat it. So we're going to focus on three separate themes that come up in not every one of his movies, but some of them and talk about them um, in relation to Star Wars, in relation to George Lucas. So it's historical. It is metaphorical. It's all those things rolled into one. I could feel you searching for another word that ended like in ickle, you know, like I was metaphorical. Say physical, and I was like, it's not physical. physical. <laughs> <laughs> but you didn't, so you just, it was just the two. <laughs> exactly. All right. So in part one, we're going to be talking about the theme of adolescence. And in part two, we're going to be talking about the theme of freedom. And in part three, we're going to be talking about trauma. So without further ado, let's get started. Had I done what my father had wished me to do, which is to go into the office equipment business with him, which I knew I wasn't going to do, I knew I hated that, my life would have been unpleasant. And um, so I think it's very important not to do what your um, peers think you should do, not do what your parents think you should do or your teachers, but to do what you inside or even your culture thinks, but do what's inside you. You know, when I went to film school, everybody said, well, you're nuts. What are you going to film school for? You know, you're only, there's no, you, nobody from a film school had ever gotten a job in the film business. Just had never happened. So you were just doomed to be a ticket taker at Disneyland. So they were like, why would you do that? You know, why don't you take a major that you can actually get a job at? Why do one? But once I fell in love with it, there was no going back, even though I had absolutely no chance of making it in the film business. And I did the same thing when I um, graduated. I moved back to San Francisco and they said, well, you can't make movies in San Francisco. You're crazy. I said, but I don't want to be in Hollywood. I don't want to do that. I don't like those kind of movies. I want to do different kind of movies. And um, they said, well, you'll fail. It'll just never happen. And we managed to make it work in San Francisco. Part one, adolescence. So here's the boring stuff, but we promise it's important. 
George Lucas was born in 1944 in Modesto, California, to Dorothy and George Sr., who owned a stationery store in town. He had a fledging interest in all things cars and racing and all things fast, which resulted in him wanting to get involved in motor racing as a career. But when he was 18, he was involved in a serious car accident that almost killed him. He was driving in an auto Bianchi, Bianchina <laughs> when another driver hit, hit the car, flipping it, and mangled the tiny beloved car. He was thrown from the car before it wrapped around a tree. This incident caused him to look at it, look into a different career, filmmaking, much to his father's chagrin, who hoped he'd inherit the stationary business. George Sr. wasn't exactly supportive of George's want to go into film, especially since that wasn't exactly a, quote, career by today's standards. When it was time for college, he originally attended Modesto Junior College, which cost his father close to nothing for George to enroll as an anthropology and sociology student. As he became more interested in film, he was able to transfer to University of Southern California, which had one of the only film programs in the country at the time. And it was there where things really got going. George found his stride with the creative types, the like-minded aspiring filmmakers, cinematographers, editors, and directors. History is dubbed the Dirty Dozen. So why don't we get into the theme of adolescence? I think it's fair to start with Star Wars at this point, because the theme of adolescence shapes so much in Star Wars, from the moment we see Luke, to even Kylo Ren, to Anakin Skywalker as a young kid. It's all over to even Rebels and Clone Wars with Ahsoka and Rebels with Ezra and the whole crew. It's it's everywhere. So how does George's childhood directly correlate to George's most famous characters? Um, does it come up in other characters and stories throughout his his filmography and specifically the films that we're looking at today? Well, I think with his really early films, like his student films, kind of everything before THX 1138, you're seeing a lot of experimentation. It's really George not so much finding his footing because I feel like that's kind of one of George's things that he just automatically dove straight into this um, field and into this world of filmmaking. But it is a little bit of him experimenting, you know, his film Look at Life, which was one of his very first student film in an animation class was just learning about how to use the camera. You know, so there are things like rubrics <laughs> involved with some of these early student films. But I think especially with Luke Skywalker, which was created when George was very young, I think Luke really is, I wouldn't say a direct representation of George's childhood, but definitely an influence. And I remember there was this quote in Brian's book where George is talking about his childhood. And he says something along the lines of, you know, it's not that I had a tragic childhood. You know, my childhood was relatively normal and good, but it was still marred by these traumas and by um, frustrations. And, you know, he didn't get along great with his father. And that was always kind of a source of stress for both of the Georges, George Sr. and George Jr. And I think that's something that you can immediately see in Luke Skywalker. You know, Luke by no means had a traumatic childhood on Tatooine, um, but it was, you know, frustrating, you know, to be trapped on, you know, the brightest, if you're, what's the quote, if you're in the brightest center of the universe, Tatooine is the farthest from it, you know? And I feel like that's how George kind of felt as a kid. Like, no, his life wasn't awful, but he wanted so much more from it. I think it's really funny, though, because I don't think that this, that, that American Graffiti really was like a perfect one-to-one -one comparison of George's childhood. I don't think that he 
really had that like amazing like neon filled like beautiful musical um stylized childhood i mean no one does like you said it's looking at with at at it with rose colored glasses um but i do think that it's there's something interesting there um and if you just like allow me to have a little tangent for a second about how George was super hell bent on getting away from Modesto once he got into USC. And I do think there's something there about like if you if you look into the theme of adolescence, how he really wanted to get away from the past and like move past his he never wanted to be a part of the stationery store. He didn't really ever want to stay in Modesto. He didn't want to do anything like that. But it's funny because years later he did come back to Northern California. It's where he, you know, he started his the Skywalker Ranch, and that was such a pivotal part of his life. And um, I'm talking about George like he's, it's a past tense, but it, obviously it's not. Um, <laughs> we should but, start this section by pointing out that George Lucas is very much alive, <laughs> very much alive. But I do think there's something there about how, like, okay, George was so done with Modesto and he really wanted to get away from it. But he did come back to Northern California as fast as he could. He hated Hollywood and continues to hate Hollywood, Hollywood, the location, and even the people um, because he had been scorned and everything. And it's like George has always wanted to kind of let the past die, but, like, he can't. And he even he moves on. He goes to film school, but then he makes a movie about basically his cruising culture. And like he had left that behind when he got into the car accident and which like completely shaped his life, you know, Mm -hmm. and he can't get past it, which I think there's really something there. And we talk about Kylo Ren a lot in terms of the theme of there it is. (laughs) We (laughs) bring in don't let the past die in Kylo Ren into a conversation about George Lucas, who has nothing to do with the character of Kylo Ren. Actually, I think, I mean, obviously, obviously, I mean, he did say like, what what would it be like for Darth Vader's grandchildren? I I mean, yeah, you know what I mean, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. I think that like we talk about Kylo Ren and we talk about the theme of adolescence with him because the creators have talked about Kylo Ren that way, um, about him being young and like dealing with with all these issues that young people deal with, right? Mm -hmm. Finding out who you are and deciding that and making a choice. And I think that... In fact, George had been trying to get away from Modesto, but only realized that like his past is part of him and he has to and he he continues to make these films that like relate to his life and he can't he can't really let that past die, which again is the theme of The Last Jedi, right? He shouldn't really be doing that. But <laughs> Thanks, George. I just Yeah, I mean I just think that obviously these kind of themes and everything like the creators and the story group are talking about. And I, I do think that it's important to note that like this, I don't know. I I do think it's all relevant and maybe I'm going to say that a lot in this series, but I do think that like the creators of even the future films of star Wars are so, um, contentious and, uh, observant to George's past that it all, um, it all kind of relates to each other, right? It's always an in-joke. It's all always a reference. So I think it's it, there's so much value into dissecting these historical parts of his life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. What I think is really interesting about George, and this actually came up in that interview we referenced at the top of the show from the early 1970s, where it's just George and this interviewer walking around in the desert. And George said something about how he basically just kind of ambled into filmmaking, which... 
I think is the most George Lucas thing I've ever heard out of George Lucas's mouth. It just you hear that and you just think, yes, that describes George Lucas just ambling into filmmaking and being just amazing at it pretty much immediately and not following the rules, doing whatever he wanted and making it work. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that's really cool to see that represented in his early films, like the film Look at Life, um, which was in an animation class. It was George's first film class. And like I said, the rubric was they had a minute of film and they were supposed to, you know, move the camera up and down side to side. And that was the rules, basically. And all his classmates did these little, you know, cartoon drawings. And then George comes in. He basically creates this like slideshow of assaulting images, basically, with there's Bible reading right at the end of it. Yes. They read from Proverbs and um, it's just this – and he's got music and like lettering and it's just really intense. And the way that the book describes it is that after, you know, that 56-second little film finish, everyone was like, who the heck made that? And then you've got George Lucas in the back with like a Coca-Cola and a candy bar and he's like, oh, that was me. And you're like, (laughs) who is this kid? You know, and I think that that is – you see that in in all of his films, especially in this early period, these characters, and even if they're not, you know, fully developed characters like we see in some of these other short films, it's just um, these people that you don't expect to be doing the things that they're doing, um, like Luke Skywalker, like some of the characters in American Graffiti, like the main, like THX 1138. It's, it's all, and it's funny because we were just talking about, I was just thinking about this on Twitter the other day. Um, cause Matt Martin from the story group had talked about, was asking people what we relate to in the characters we like. And what I said was I really relate to characters that have potential stored up in them. And that's why I really love like origin stories of characters. Um, it's part of my obsession with Luke Skywalker from A New Hope, um, like that moment in the binary sunset where you just see that potential stored up in him. And I feel like that is George Lucas. Like George Lucas was just kind of waiting for this moment when he could really prove himself. And it happened to be in filmmaking, but it wasn't anything that he set out to do as a kid. You know what I mean? Like in in his own words, George was a poor student. He tinkered with a lot of things. He kind of messed around with with photography. He liked building cars and that kind of stuff until that didn't work out. And then he just ambled into filmmaking (laughs) and became George Lucas, who's like this recognizable name everywhere. And I think that's crazy. And I think that's really cool to, to be able to track that, almost like that imprint of himself into these films that he was making in the early days. I completely agree. I do think it's kind of when you told me about the whole like amble in quote. Um, <laughs> I thought about how Steven Spielberg's studio is called Amblin, and I wonder. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't. I don't know anything about their relationship at all, but I do wonder if like potentially maybe that was a theme among them because you know I I don't think Steven Spielberg necessarily. If you guys have seen the Spielberg documentary, it's so good on HBO. Mm-hmm. I don't think S- Steven like ambled into filmmaking he tried his hardest to be a part of the crew he wasn't necessarily part of that dirty dozen that i mentioned before um i don't think he ambled in but maybe he wanted to amble in like i don't i don't know this story history behind that but um anyway i also wanted to read the quote that's in look at life at the end that you mentioned from proverbs Mm -hmm. it's hate stirreth up strife while love covereth all sins and the film ends with the written test anyone for survival Followed by end and then question mark. You're just 
It's oh, literally like, oh, George. George. <laughs> Bye, George. Bye, George. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's so funny because George has always, like, George has always been George Lucas. You know, I feel like he hasn't changed all too much in the past, you know, 40, 50 years. Um, he's always known who he was. And there's something quietly comforting about that, I think, because we know what to expect out of his films. And he's always very clear in what he wants and knowing that he thinks he has the best idea in his head. And that's that's just what he's going to do. Um, even maybe if it's not the best, maybe it's not always the best idea, but he certainly thinks it is. Um and I feel like his films have kind of shown that. And and even in reading about some of the the behind the scenes of these early student films, it was always like, you know, George doesn't really like working with people. George has never been a great writer. Um, and these are things that people have been saying about him in every single film that he's made. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like George likes to work by himself. Cut to the prequels where George is literally doing everything. <laughs> um, sometimes to his own detriment and to the film's detriment. Um, but it's just, he's, he's been the same and there's, I don't know, there's something kind of nice about that consistency in a weird way, even if it doesn't always, um, end up on screen in perhaps the best format. Um, I don't know. It just, it's, it's like, I know who George Lucas is, whether we're talking about George Lucas in 1966 or we're talking about George Lucas in 2004, yeah, it's so true, actually. I mean, obviously, he's learned a lot and yeah. has changed, you know, as a person, but he is reliable. <laughs> yeah, exactly. One of the stories I think is funny when you were talking about um, George Lucas's kind of disdain of Hollywood um, is that he – what was the story was in high school that he met this guy, an actor, who tried to get him a job in Hollywood – um, and basically no one in Hollywood would hire him, not because they didn't like George Lucas. It was just like, ah, eh, no, like we're not hiring now or whatever. Um, it wasn't anything personal because no one knew who he was. And from that <laughs> moment on, George was like, nope, no to Hollywood. And he just decided that he didn't like Hollywood anymore <laughs> after that one experience when he was 18. Um, obviously George later down the line had a lot of more credible reasons to not like Hollywood, but it was like it already left a bad taste in his mouth. Just because, like, that's the way the chips fell, you know? It's like he got rejected totally. once and was like, not for me. <laughs> no one holds a grudge like George Lucas. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's Which, so – it's just, just actually crazy. It's, but it's like – it's it's worked out for him. Yeah, like he's, he's done his own high. way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and – Totally. And it's the better way. Mm-hmm. I want to make one final comment, and I don't really have much to say about it, but – in terms of the theme of adolescence, um, I was trying to figure out where it fits in in THX 1138. And I think, if anything, the society that is shown in that film, which is so controlled, so over the top, so Orwell Orwellian, um, it's like 1984. If anything, THX was robbed from his adolescence and that own experience. And the entire mm -hmm. film is him chasing that sort of freedom and we'll get into obviously the theme of freedom but um chasing what he never had which potentially you know a sense of self a sense of understanding what that comes from adolescence and growing up um could be part of that yeah definitely i totally agree with that 
Should we move on to talking about freedom then? Yeah, let's move on to part two. Part two, freedom. So in this section, we're going to be talking a little bit more about THX 1138, (laughs) but then we're also going to be talking about what I think might be my favorite of George's early student films, which is Freiheit. We don't speak German. We don't. Yeah. In case you didn't realize that. Um, But (laughs) basically, Freiheit is German for freedom. And uh, this short film it's i think it's 2 minutes long it's on youtube it's really interesting it's basically a man running towards uh freedom basically uh towards the berlin wall isn't it i think so it's i think it's supposed to be the berlin wall this is a student film so it, there's not really a wall but <laughs> um he's running towards the berlin wall um and suddenly you just hear all of these machine guns start ringing out around him and he's you know it, it's it's freaky and alarming um watching him running for his life essentially and at one point um you know the you're looking through the main character's eyes so you're the one running through the woods um and then right as he you see the sign that says freedom and uh, he gets shot down and he's still crawling towards freedom, um, still trying to get there. And then a Soviet soldier comes up and basically shoots him point blank and he dies. And like right at the the gateway to freedom. And then there's some more um, narrative over top. And it's it's really jarring. Um, kind of like THX 1138 is really jarring. Uh, it's They're interesting films visually, I think. Oh, of course. Interesting is like An the lowest word. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think that this film maybe more than any of the other short films kind of underscores some like key themes that are present in Star Wars and um even in the films today. I mean, I think that um at the core of Star Wars, it's, you know, fighters fighting for freedom right from Mm -hmm. the oppressor yeah and the quotes that are overhead at the at the end are without freedom men cannot exist properly a man has to be free because it is nature to be free anything that restricts or in any way hampers freedom in 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 a way causes man's death of course freedom is worth dying for because without freedom we're dead and I mean, obviously, this is extremely drastic to compare this to George's life, given that this is a like a war film. And I think mm-hmm. that obviously this film is political, um, as a lot of George's films were back then and still are, obviously. Um, but I do think that it was so key to George to be not tied down by his own legacy mm-hmm. and um his father's stationery store and Modesto and his childhood. And he just wanted to break free from all of that. And obviously this comes up later when in George's own filmmaking, which you just mentioned his, you know, his extreme distaste for Hollywood, the Hollywood machine, and he wants to do things himself and he completely wants to be free of any sort of restrictions wants to do everything himself. He builds his own camera <laughs> to accomplish what he needs to accomplish. And um, I, I think that 
if anything, this film like underscores George Lucas to a T, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's it's George Lucas. It's how he expressed himself kind of in the truest form because everything that people kind of talk about with George through interactions with him in his early childhood and, and even in film school is that he was super quiet. He was the kid in the back who is churning out these crazy concepts and crazy films that are really shocking people but then like i said you know you turn around and it's the the kid with the the plaid hair the the plaid hair the plaid shirt <laughs> and uh the coca-cola bottle and and it's it's a little shocking that it comes from him and um to have these really political messages that were interwoven into this film and, and not even interwoven pretty blatant um and i, I don't know i just you know, like I said before, like quiet George Lucas is quietly consistent and he's always been quiet, but he's always had these really strong beliefs and um, strong vision, I guess. And that's really present in everything that he's always done. And it kind of in a weird way, it reminds me of this quote that. Carrie Fisher said about Ryan Johnson, um, oddly <laughs> enough. I remember she said that Ryan Johnson doesn't have a um, – what was it? He, he Brian Johnson doesn't have a dominating personality, but he has a dominating vision. And I think that that's really true for George Lucas too, especially in these early years where he's, you know, still figuring out how to work a camera on the one hand, but he's willing to break into the editing room in after hours and steal the better camera for his project. Like that's pretty <laughs> ballsy. I wouldn't do that. <laughs> um, but he's like, no, I need the best camera for, for this project. And if this is how we're going to get it, I guess we're going to break in. George is understated ballsy. That's yeah, like right? the definition of it. Like, That's a true like, story, too. He broke yeah. in. Feel the better camera from the opposing, like, group. Maybe that, like, underscores that, like, sometimes you just got to do what you got to do, even if it seems kind of nasty, for, like, the end end product yeah, <laughs> to be I the guess, best. I guess so. You just like, this is what I need, and I'm um, going to get it. <laughs> I love that. I really right. do. <laughs> but I think especially with this early film, I remember watching it a couple of days ago and thinking I'm starting to see the pieces come together for what we see down the line. And, you know, we talk a lot about how and George talks a lot about how he really hates the process of writing and, and dialogue. And I think it's fitting that none of his characters in these early films <laughs> have dialogue. And he lets like important quotes yeah it's just like put a slap a quote on it that'll do but that's so that's that is a george ism that's like the beginning of clone wars that (laughs) is the fortune cookie yeah Yeah. it is but i what i think is um one of the things i just want to mention is that the the use of sound has always been such an important part of george's films from the very beginning like in this film frey height it's that it's grotesque but the gunshots are in a rhythm um and it's like creating a pulse and a soundtrack to this man running and it's it's really freaky and we see that in star wars too when like the music cuts out and it's it's just the blaster shots or it's just the lightsabers um and you're creating this soundtrack with weapons which is it's a bit of a contrast and it's cool to see that represented even really early on here. And in one of his later films too, um, the one that's won 
what is it? It's 14208, which is a timestamp. And it's about a car racing. And there's the music in it is the car revving up the engine in a very specific pattern in the film. It's really interesting. Yeah, it's cool. And that one, again, shows a bunch of images cut together um, mm-hmm. to kind of in a way that film in how fast the cars are going also represents freedom because it's like not necessarily the open road, but it is kind of as close as you could probably get to like George's, you know, extreme fascination with cars. That's not American graffiti. Mm-hmm. Like no, no characters, just like cars. Literally, literally yeah. shots of car of one car. <laughs> yeah. It's, <laughs> It's like a promotional shot. (laughs) (laughs) What I what I think is funny too is that um, the when they were talking about when this film came out, they were talking about how it wasn't actually the like the highest grade George got on his short films, like Frey Height and Look at Life and some other ones. Like all of those did a lot better than this car one, but it was okay because like for George it was okay because this really was like a passion project for him within a passion project because it was about cars. And I think that's kind of funny um, and fitting for George, especially when you think about the prequels, too, because the prequels were a passion project for him. And and George is proud of what they did, even if no one else is. And I think he's kind of come to terms with that. So many people are proud of it, George. (laughs) We're proud of it. (laughs) We love it. Okay. (laughs) Um, I do think that, you know, you talk about sound and how important sound is. I think that brings us to THX 1138, which is totally, completely about freedom. Mm -hmm. I think that is the entire theme. You're working towards that from the Mm -hmm. get-go. I, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't seen this movie before we started doing this series, which is actually kind of crazy. But I, I got that. It was hard to get a hold of until recently, I think. I know. And then the George Lucas director's cut was on iTunes. So I decided to rent it for the series and, Man, it was so good. It was actually kind of crazy. I don't know if this is originally part of the film, and I probably should have done this research, but it opened with, you know, a little short, basically, about, um, I think it's something like Buck Rogers. And I was kind of surprised by that because knowing George's influence from those, like, TV serials and what they brought to Star Wars eventually, it was crazy to me that he'd open this movie with that and then cut to the logo and the opening of the film and the film would begin. Um, That's just kind of an aside. But um, I do think this entire film is building to this moment where the sound is just so loud when THX is climbing up to the top of he's. So for those who haven't seen the movie, I'm sorry, I should back up. Um, The movie is basically uh, the characters all live underground. They are forced to take pills um, that regulate their body. They're forced to watch holograms that um, stimulate nothing within them, even though their depiction is of violence and grotesque sex. And um, it's very, it's a very like jarring movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and so basically, these characters live in a very controlled environment, to say the least. And one of them, THX, um, realizes that he needs to get out. And that's really the gist of the entire movie. And by the end, you're rooting for him so much to to actually get out. And he's climbing up this tunnel and this huge ladder. And the music is so loud. And I'll probably insert it somewhere in the show when I'm done editing it. 
but by the end you are on the edge of your seat wondering if the people are going to chase him catch up to him and catch him and if he's going to get out and when he finally does and when he stands above the sunset and the suns and the music is so loud and the credits roll it's like you worked so hard to get that sense of freedom that the entire movie leads to um and it's like it's it's really truly the most important point in the entire film um mm-hmm. you finally see this one man rise above and realize that he is more than what lives underground what is beneath him yeah it's great. I remember the first time I saw THX one one three eight. It was my freshman year in college, and we had this uh, like really kind of um, cool video rental store. Even then, <laughs> um, which it wasn't that long ago, that had all of these like foreign films and, and short documentaries and stuff. And I remember I was with my friend, and I forget what video, what movie he got, but it was something like super bubbly or like a Marvel movie or like Mamma Mia, like something like that. And then I saw THX 1138 and was like, we need this. This is what we're getting. We're getting THX 1138. <clears throat> and I remember sitting in his dorm room watching it and we were both like, what is this? <laughs> because I knew that THX, like I'd read about the movie before that it was super bleak. It was very jarring, could be very grotesque. Um, But to experience, like, it is an experience, this film. And the moment at the end that you're talking about, it's funny because, not funny, but I have such a different, not such a different, but a different perspective of it because I remember watching it and feeling this sense of relief of him coming to the, you know, getting out. But then, you know, the movie ends and I remember thinking, nothing has changed, you know, he's just a drop in the bucket. (laughs) Um, And, you know, who's to say that someone doesn't reach out and grab him in the next minute and it's all been for naught. And I think THX 1138 kind of like the society that's portrayed in that film, it really does make you question, like even though it leaves on kind of this high note, there is this really strong undercurrent of bleakness that, well, it's all just happened. It's continuing to happen you know it's not a luke skywalker moment where he destroys the death star and they've made this huge win um Mm. nothing is won here except for his freedom and that the film makes really clear that that could easily be taken away from him i think what's crazy is that when you talk about this i think about return of the jedi yeah and how return of the jedi ends and you're so happy and the empire is defeated and now we have these other movies where it's clear that you know, strife was not over for our characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and exactly. We're left upon that. And now you watch Return of the Jedi and you're left with a kind of, oh no, he's not like completely free. And we know that to be fact about our characters in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting because it goes back to George's love of happy endings, right? Yeah. Of like, he would cut it off at the end of THX. And we're talking about, we're not talking about the student film version. I forgot to say that. We're talking about the director's cut the theatrical zoetrope version mm-hmm. um but i do think that there's something there about how he cut it at that point because we're finally at that point where he he has achieved freedom he's standing in front of the sunset um and in this this image is freedom but it's interesting because when you walk away from it like you said you start to think like, whoa, there's a lot more hoops that someone has to go through. But that's just mm-hmm. the confines of a story. Yeah, exactly. And I could almost – I mean, I could almost see a situation where someone was like, George, this is where you should end the movie or else it's just – it's too sad. 
<laughs> well, and George was probably like, that's the point. Like, he rose above the violence. He understood that he had to get out of it. Yeah, exactly. And exactly. having that idea is powerful enough. And acting upon that idea is extremely powerful. And yeah. you don't need to remind the audience that, like, no matter what, like, you're still going to be, like, gasping for air. And I, I, to me, I feel like that is the essence of George's filmmaking and like it only becomes clearer with every movie that he makes and that he when he has children and er everything you know what I mean Mm -hmm. by that yeah I think like I think that he I don't know I think that he respected the boundaries of a story um in order to reach an end point but then I don't know I don't know because I can walk back on that statement and you could use like the prequels as an example sometimes yeah I think George is always very conscious of film I don't know how to explain it but it's never like it's never just this story like George has always thought of film as like the bigger picture of the filmmaking process I think you hear a lot of stories about you know, writers or directors and stuff. And it's like, oh, I, I read this story somewhere and I knew I had to put it to film. Um, like they're separate until the director brings them together. But I feel like for George, he always thinks about something in terms of a film. It's never a story and then a film or it's never like an image that inspires a film. It's always like all happening at the same time for him. And so mm-hmm. I think that like what you said before about like him working in the confines of a film and of a story, I think that leads to it because he I don't know, it's just it's always he always sees these things on screen. And I feel like that's the only way he that's the only way he ever looks at stories like this, stories that he wants to produce. It's it's always about what it's going to look like on film. Totally. I don't know agree. if that makes sense, but no, and no I don't even does. know if that's I'm... true. But that's like how I interpret George Lucas. Well, that's the whole series that we're doing here, right? Like yeah. <laughs> George. George isn't a fictional character, and that's what that's what gets tough about this kind of series is that mm-hmm. like he's a real person, and we're talking about his life. <laughs> yeah, and that's kind of uncomfortable and kind of awkward. But I do think that if you look at like the details, the bullet points of his life, like it all makes sense in in mm-hmm. actuality. Yeah. Exactly. Should we move on to trauma? Yeah, I would love to move on to trauma. (laughs) Really put a nice cap on this series, on this episode. Let's go. Part three, trauma. So I don't think it's any secret. We talk about Star Wars being tragedy every single episode we can possibly get, but I don't think it's a secret that trauma is a core part of George Lucas's characters and his vision and his understanding of a hero's journey. In these, I, I think in these early films, it's it's clear to see that George is still recovering from his own trauma because these films are very much products of both the political climate that's going on in the 1960s, but then also where George is personally and emotionally. Um, yeah. 
because his if you haven't seen pictures of the car wreck that George was in when he was 18 it's really scary like we said earlier the car he was in was is the size of a kitchen table it's so small and he was t-boned right outside his house and thankfully his seatbelt failed which flung him out of the car but the car itself was is literally wrapped around the tree um and he was in the hospital for a couple days i think um but it was very traumatic, for lack of a better word. And I think he said that his high school teachers pretty much passed him because they all thought he was going to die um, in the hospital. Yeah. <laughs> and when they all saw the car going down the street, everyone just kind of assumed that he was already dead. Like, it was serious. Um, you should definitely look up pictures of of his car wreck because it's intense. And he talks about that time in the hospital and, and immediately afterwards as really – um, life changing, but kind of in the most simplistic terms because that's who George Lucas is. He, you know, he's just kind of, it's almost like George is kind of casually thinking about these super high level spiritual esoteric concepts, you know, like who am I <laughs> as he sips a Coca Cola? <laughs> like, <laughs> also, this book is constantly dropping that George always has a Coca Cola and a candy bar in his hands. Like, that's all he eats in his early 20s. That's his life. <laughs> yeah, this is life, which I think is hilarious. Um, but I – and these films are all – especially like Freyheit where the man doesn't make it to freedom. You could almost like speculate about George thinking about, you know, like what if that accident had gone the other way? Like I was 18. I was on the brink of the rest of my life and it was all just snatched away from me just like that. Um, but he he was able to make it to the other side, whereas like yeah. a character that he has in Freyheit wasn't um, and kind of like, oh, now that I've been given this extra day, what am I going to do with it? And I think that's a super cliche thing to say about people who have near-death experiences, but it's cliche because it's so true. People come out of those kinds of moments in their life and are like, this really is an extra day of life. What am I going to do with it? And George – on that extra day, ambled into filmmaking and it was like, well, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that like if you look at his most famous character, if you look at Luke Skywalker, like Luke was completely defined by the trauma of seeing his aunt and uncle's burned skeletons outside of the homestead. If if that moment hadn't happened, would he have turned to Obi-Wan and said, I want to become come with you and be, learn to be a Jedi like my father? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, it, that had to happen or some sort of like traumatic experience had to happen for him to make that choice because at that point, Luke had decided he wasn't going to do that. Mm-hmm. And in turn, that starts the story that we all know so well. Yeah. And it's, it's a really understated moment in the movie, I think. I remember yeah. – the first few times I watched it, I don't even think I really registered that he was seeing the bodies. To I think the first time I watched it, I was like, oh, it's the burning homestead. I don't think I saw the skeletons or like I don't think it clicked to me that that was Baru and um, Owen. Like I just – I don't know. It's It's really understated, which again is – George Lucas, I think, talks about these really intense moments in his life in a very understated manner, too. Yeah, I, I'm so with you. I think that it's another example of George, like, kind of showing this almost grotesque violence um, as, like, a means to an end in yeah. order to – I mean, like, that is so intense, that that one scene. Um 
but it's so defining in Luke's life that it's it's almost crucial because if we just rolled up to the homestead and saw the smoke and we saw Luke like shed a tear, I don't think it would mean that much if you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I think that we would have to, we had to have Luke realize that everything was, there's nothing for me now is what he says. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I think that there's another example of that in um, the grotesque and like that, the extreme examples of, of violence. I think that in THX, um, when THX is sitting on the couch and it's a very sexually explicit scene, so I won't really get into it, but one of the channels that he's flipping on in the hollow holograms is a a guard beating a black man and it's mm-hmm. over and over and over again and there's no response from either characters and they have been conditioned basically to not see violence or see that that specific moment is grotesque mm-hmm. and to me like that this is it takes place early in the film so it's it's not necessarily a defining factor for for them um but I do think that it underscores that like these characters have been conditioned to not think of this as an event like Luke Skywalker did. Luke realized that like this is where things had to change. It's There's nothing for him anymore. Mm-hmm. The characters in THX look at that. They look at that expression of violence and they're completely um, dozed over. Like they don't they can't even they don't even think of that that's wrong. Mm-hmm. And it takes because they've been conditioned to think that it's not wrong. Yeah. And it's like this anti-hero's journey where, you know, he realizes that they don't they don't realize that, like, that is a pivotal point in, like, f- maybe realizing right from wrong. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's about George playing with this response to trauma. Um, like you were talking about, like, the characters in THX1138, they have no response to it. It means nothing to them. Um life isn't precious in the same way it is to someone like Luke Skywalker, who his response to that trauma is, it's a call to action. Yep. Exactly. And I mean, another dumb example, like, I feel like this isn't really a good one, but maybe the reason why it piqued my interest is because there's a car accident in American Graffiti. And I feel like that's obviously um, harkens back to George's past in a big way. But before this, Ron Howard's character, Steve, and Steve's like girlfriend, not really girlfriend, Cindy is in the car and she almost, um, she's in the car, right? I can't remember now. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. She's in the car and the car like goes up in flames and everyone's watching it. And she makes it out and she realizes like, oh man, I, I've, I've been stupid. Like you've been stupid. Like life is life is worth it right mm-hmm. and i mean i feel like <laughs> you know american graffiti isn't a super deep film so it's not it doesn't have as much weight as like thx or even star wars yeah. <laughs> yeah but i do think that that is a pivotal moment and it comes at the end of the film where um cindy and steve are like whoa like we've been kind of dumb like mm-hmm. i can't believe we took these chances right well it's so i mean it's like we said earlier, American Graffiti obviously isn't a one-to-one representation of George Lucas's childhood cruising in Modesto, but it is it is his it is very representative of that time for him. And then part of that time was saying goodbye to car racing and that kind of lifestyle through that accident and taking the next step. And I think you can kind of see that in American Graffiti with the car crash too. It's like oh, you know, it's the end of high school. It's their last night together. And now they're stepping away from this moment that could have gone a very different way. 
and they're not completely different people, but it's affected them. Just like yeah. I think it affected, not I think, but it did affect George when, you know, a much more serious car accident happened to him. Yeah, I mean, I think in conclusion, <laughs> trauma is, is you know, such a crucial part of the character journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the personal journey, too. I mean, I feel like growing up is all about getting past these moments of trauma, big or small, and dealing with them and seeing how you deal with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess that's another amazing theme in Star Wars is, like, how do you deal with certain pieces of bad information, bad events? Mm-hmm. Anakin did not deal well with the the realization that, like, potentially his wife could die. You know, he did not deal with that sense of trauma, that traumatic experience of having that dream well. Mm-hmm. And, and with his mother. Did. Yeah, with his mother. And um, very, very many occasions Anakin did not deal well. <laughs> Um, but and then obviously Luke did. Luke dealt well with certain <laughs> certain situations. And I mean, it's always about these choices and how you learn from them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that George, in his writing, uses situations like trauma to um, underscore his character's motivations. Yeah, and I think uh, obviously a lot of filmmakers do. Yeah, this. yeah, of um, course. Trauma, it's not unique. Yeah, at trauma all. is very quintessential for any character. Um, yeah. especially ones on a hero's journey. But what, what I think is kind of the the coolest thing about going back and watching these films is seeing these different sides of George Lucas, but having these similar concepts and how he can really portray them in a different way. And especially, especially with trauma, knowing where he came from, knowing the um, – the car accident that he was in and then seeing something like a very almost like a simplistic representation of that in American graffiti but then seeing kind of the deeper seated trauma of trying to break free of Modesto how you can kind of read that into THX 1138 or even in Freyheit and then you know going back to his love of cars and kind of like an homage to saying goodbye to that period of his life with his um short film 14208 um I think it's just interesting watching all of these pieces come together for him as we're tracking towards Star Wars, which is really going to obviously change his life in a big way. I mean, American Graffiti did. American Graffiti was super successful when it came out, and everyone was really shocked by it. But even then, he still wasn't given that kind of go-ahead for Star Wars, like you would almost assume he would be after the success of American Graffiti. Um I I don't know. I I think it's really interesting watching how these films are kind of something you would expect from George Lucas if you know anything about him. But then there's also these really unexpected elements in it that kind of make you sit up, kind of like the kids in his classes are like, oh, was that George Lucas that made that? Okay. (laughs) Well, I think that like that's really the hook of Star Wars too, right? I mean, I keep doing this. I keep going back to Star Wars, but I I think that it's like it's one of those things where George seems like a simple man. Star Wars seems like a simple story. Mm-hmm. And it's like when you look deeper, when you look at their work, when, when you look at their art, when you look at all the facets of who they are, both of these you know, circumstances are not simple at all. Yeah. Right. They no. all have so much going on. I think that's such a good way to put it. Cause you look at, you know, a new hope and you've got that 
that triumph at the end of destroying the Death Star. But you know that part of that story for George goes back to the bleakness in THX 1138 of him, you know, reaching out and escaping, but the possibility that it's not long lasting. And then in Star Wars, it's like, yes, it's triumphant, but there's a possibility that the Empire is not fully destroyed that we'll see later on in Empire Strikes Back. Um, And there are all these layers. And, you know, at the end of the day, Star Wars is for young people, as George says, and it is supposed to be fun. And it is for the young person at heart. But there are all of these layers in there, too, that George himself put in there. A lot of them probably subconscious and a lot of them very deliberate, too. George, I I feel like... George Lucas doesn't get the appreciation he deserves. He's never won an Oscar personally. Um, I think the most biting thing was that, and maybe we'll get into Marsha Lucas in the next episode. I hope so. But um, we, you know, he tasked Marsha to work on the editing and editing really was his passion Mm -hmm. and he didn't get the Oscar. Um, Marsha did. And the, the rest of the team did. Um, and I just – I feel like in this day and age, we – everyone remembers George Lucas for the prequels. And, like, it, you know, I do – you do a simple Google image search for George Lucas and, like, terrible gifts come up. And it's just – it's not good. It's just – it's really not good. But George is an innovator. He's an artist. And I, I feel like he just never really got the appreciation that he deserved for – you know, carving his own stamp on Hollywood. Mm -hmm. And it drives me crazy. Um, And I just, I hope that people revisit his, his other films besides Star Wars. And I mean, you said, you know, by, by the fact that American Graffiti was super successful, um, Mm -hmm. that maybe he should have been given Star Wars and like the ability to make Star Wars on like a silver platter or like it should have been easy for him to make it. But like, that's, it was never really like that for George and because he never they were like, oh, like that little film about, you know, cruising. It, it was never really I don't know. He never got the appreciation and never has. <laughs> <laughs> I'm shaking my fist. <laughs> I remember reading this quote from George saying that he hoped that one day he would be remembered for pioneering digital filmmaking, but that it would probably be for Star Wars um, and yeah. that George – like George has never been about one story. He's been about filmmaking because he sees things as films. And I think that's it's sad and bittersweet, but I think that obviously we'll be talking about this a lot more in the next couple of episodes. So we shouldn't delve too far down this rabbit hole, but um, George is a lot more than just one movie. Um, but obviously these movies – are a big part of who he is. And I think he would be the first to admit that, even if maybe a little begrudgingly. And hopefully hopefully the tide will turn as far as people's perception of George. I think they will. I mean, I think that you can view his films as like a consummate now mm-hmm. um, because he hasn't made anything recently aside from like Strange Magic, even though he said he was going to. Um, there hasn't been like a new George Lucas film. Yeah. But I I think that when you can look at like the lexicon of all his films together, um, potentially the world will recognize it um, in his like brilliance a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Because by George, I think he's got it. 
All right. So I think that's going to conclude this first installment of By George, our George Lucas um, Sky Talkers series. We are coming back next week because we are on a weekly schedule for the remainder of this series. So July 21st is a big episode because we're going to be talking all about the Star Wars trilogy, the original trilogy, the Indiana Jones trilogy, and Captain EO. (laughs) Caitlin, have you ever seen Captain EO? No, I don't even think I've heard of it. Do you know what Captain EO is? I'll tease it. No, please tease it. Captain EO (laughs) is a special film that was made for, I think, Walt Disney World and Disneyland, Ah. starring Michael Jackson. It's a big deal. I think the most expensive short film ever produced and i'm really excited to talk about it because it is weird (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah i'm excited to watch that um (laughs) very excited uh we also i want to do a little teaser too for our patreon episode (laughs) (laughs) guys i'm so excited for this patreon episode that's coming up this month it is going to be bananas (laughs) basically (laughs) i found my old starwars.com blogs (laughs) And I'm going to read one. I have a little we'll talk excerpt. about other stuff too. Don't I worry. have a little excerpt from one of Charlotte's blog entries. It references. Are you going to read it now? Yeah. Yeah, I am. Just not all of it. We've got to save some for the Patreon. But this is what you'll get a treat to. This is Charlotte circa 2005, 2006. Over the past weeks, I've done a lot of catching up on my Star Wars obsession. My best friend has always been this chick flick freak. <laughs> That's me, by the way. <laughs> Who would never watch Star Wars, even how many times I begged her to. I want to bet so she had to sit through all six episodes without squirming. Needless to say, she's a Star Wars fan to the extreme now. (laughs) So great. I'm dying. I'm dying. And Charlotte has some metas that were put on this Star Wars blog. I'm so excited to read these on our Patreon (laughs) this month. So, um... If you're interested in checking that out, um, you should definitely head o- head on over to our Patreon. We also have a few months ago. We also read a fanfic that Charlotte and I wrote from like 2007 on there too. So, lots of good things, lots of embarrassing moments. If you're interested in that sort of fare from us, <laughs> we also talk about deep stuff we and do. fun news too we do. on our Patreon exclusives. <laughs> it's not just silly. We put time into it. I promise. We do, we do. But you also get some like fun behind the scenes moments, I guess, of like our <laughs> friendship and the early years. <laughs> anyway, um, I just want to thank our awesome patrons: Amy, Neil, Joanna, Terry, Cherie, Angela, Diana, Becca, Lynn, Katie, Rachel, Courtney, Brian, Susanna, Megan, Amy, Kelly. Jim, Suara, BJ, Stuart, Kyle, Jennifer, Danny, Ross, Kels, Chastity, Aliyah, Sarah, Travis, Katie, Daniela, Alyssa, Rebecca, Andy, Delaney, Angela, Allie, Natalia, Daz, Lauren, Serene, Shireen, Matt, Molly, Chell, Aaron, Tom, Edith, Adam, Derek, Connie, Robbie, Kirsty, Brandon, and Chuck. Thank you guys so much for supporting us. It really means the world. Thank you guys, as always. And if you're interested, head over to our website, skytalkers.com. Like we said, we have a playlist of some of these films and clips up on our, up on our YouTube page. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter at skytalkerspod as well. And on our personal Twitter handles, mine is at Caitlin Plusher and Charlotte's is at Clarity. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we will see you next week for part two of our By George series. May the Force be with you. May the Force be with you.